0: Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in scripture with Joanne Guarnieri Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. In the Birth of Christ narrative, when Mary and Joseph traveled to the temple in Jerusalem to complete Mary's ritual time of cleansing after the birth of her firstborn child, a priest and a prophet came to greet them. Simeon the priest spoke words of blessing and warning over the mother with her child, but Anna the prophet praised God openly, rejoicing over the coming of Messiah. Her account completes the birth of Christ season. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation, so links to YouTube, Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and the books I've written are provided below. How long have you been waiting for something that you've been praying about? and you feel certain God has invited you to pray about it, and you even feel certain God has indicated it's going to be fulfilled. But you're still waiting, and you're still praying. Well, Anna was also praying. I don't know if she was waiting, but there was someone beside her who was, waiting for a long time. And we're gonna talk about her story in three stages. First, tragedy struck early in Anna's life. And then she lived in the temple for most of her life. And finally, God gave her an amazing testimony towards the end of her life. Now Simeon most likely was a priest in the temple. Luke doesn't say that, but judging from the story, he may very well have been. And he'd been hoping all his life on the fulfillment of a prophecy he had been given. Now he was a very old man. And on an otherwise perfectly ordinary, routine day, this prophecy was going to unfold before his very eyes. He was going to hold prophecy in his arms, and he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to make a prophecy of his own. And right by his side, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age. Now. Anna is already notable for being named a prophet, but even more than that, she is the only named woman prophet in the whole Christian Testament. Philip the Evangelist had four unmarried daughters. They were prophets, but we don't have their names. Evidently, in the first century church, there were many, many women who prophesied, but only Anna is named. She's also one of the very few who have their tribe mentioned. Now, back in the book of Joshua, the tribe of Asher had been given the northern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, bordering the Phoenician city of Tyre, that's a place name you can remember, and also Sidon. That was on its west. On the coast of Galilee was the eastern border of Asher. And in its heyday, during the reign of Solomon, Asher laid claim to the only natural harbor in all of Israel, the Bay of Akko. Now that's known as the Haifa Bay. And for centuries, virtually all of Israel's international sea trade came through Asher. Add to that the wealth of their rich pasture lands, their forests of timber, and plentiful orchards. Moses had also prophesied for Asher, your strength will equal your days. And that seems to have been fulfilled in Anna's life, because she's the only person in the Christian Testament whose age and years are recorded. She was either 84, which is what I think, or about a 105, depending on how the Greek is read. Anna, whose name meant grace, was the daughter of Penuel or Phanuel, depending on how you read it. And his name meant the face of God or the appearance of God. So just as Asher was a prosperous tribe, well known for its olive oil and peaceful living... There is every indication in this description that Anna came from a wealthy and godly family, that she had married well, and that she could look forward to a happy and comfortable life as the matriarch of an affluent home filled with children. But then tragedy struck. Having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84, only seven years after her wedding, At the likely age of 21, Anna found herself childless and widowed. This was in antiquity an especially precarious and vulnerable place to be in life. As a rule, a widow did not inherit from her family of origin, and she didn't inherit from her husband's family either. A widow could only count on her children to take care of her, so a childless widow was completely alone and without recourse. God had instituted laws to care for widows and fatherless children and the destitute. The poor were permitted to glean from the corners of all the fields. They were never to have their cloak taken from them because that was their only source of warmth and covering at night, and they could indenture themselves as servants for a time. Young widows especially were often free and ready to remarry, and on the rare occasion, especially if she was very young, Widows sometimes returned to the home of their origin. Childless widows also were to count on a male related to their husbands to help in conceiving a child in her dead husband's name so she could continue to live in his house and on the land of his inheritance. Now typically in those instances the widow worked the land and managed the household until her child was able to help her. God provides in times of tragedy. When tragedy befalls, God is always there. And God is making a way to cope and survive until you and I can move forward. And it seems in Anna's situation, God's provision included a special calling. God had once told Abraham, Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And I wonder if this became Anna's life verse as she turned to the Lord for help, because Anna did not remarry. She did not use the kinsman-redeemer option, and she did not return to her childhood home. But she did indenture herself as a lifelong servant, in a way. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. So it seems Anna was able to dedicate herself to the Lord and to the service of the temple. And according to Luke... She never again left the temple precinct. Now, a precedent had actually been set in earlier centuries by the presence of Levite musicians and heads of family, living in the chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. You see the same language there. So it's possible Anna was living within the temple rooms, or at least on the temple mount, and it wasn't very unusual after all during the first century because of the nature of her work. Herod had begun remodeling the second temple. He greatly expanded the platform and courtyards, and he also embellished the temple itself. God's intent had always been to provide a central place of worship, a beautiful place evoking God's glory, and also a practical place where people could come for healing and help and hope. It had about 90 multipurpose rooms to store food and clothing and other donations for the poor and for people to use as meeting rooms. All around the temple was an enormous porch, created by a double row of Corinthian pillars about 38 feet tall, with a roof, but otherwise open air. And besides the beautiful gate, there were 12 other gates covered in gold and silver. The royal porch was the most gorgeous of all the porches. It had three halls formed by 162 pillars, four rows of 40 pillars each, staggered to form a kind of a screen, and there was a central area 45 feet wide with gigantic 100 feet tall pillars, and then two aisles 30 feet wide with 50-foot pillars. When Herod the Great rebuilt the temple, he had the royal porch placed right over the spot where Solomon's original temple had stood, so it became known as Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's portico, and it was covered completely in sheets of gold. Giant menorah would be lit by night to make the whole thing shimmer and glow, as if with God's Shekinah glory, just like in the olden times when God's glory really did reside in the temple. And you can see why this would be a popular place for rabbis to gather together, and especially during festivals with their disciples and followers to teach. It was probably here where Joseph and Mary found Jesus that time when he was 12. And it's also here where the first Christians gathered every day to worship God together after Pentecost. The court of the Gentiles you're familiar with, that's where Jesus cleared out the money lenders and the animal vendors. The beautiful gate was the most magnificent of all the gates. You had to go up 12 steps and the gate itself was made of solid Corinthian brass, rich ornamentation and it was so massive It took 20 men to open and close the double doors. And through those doors, you came into the court of the women. Open to both men and women who were either Jewish or Jewish proselytes. Ordinarily, women were not allowed to go any farther than this room. Against the walls were 13 chests called trumpets. They were narrow at the top and wide at the bottom, and they were shaped like trumpets. And it's where people would put their tithes and donations. Each trumpet chest had a sign that said what the gifts were for. So there was a half shekel for the temple tax. And then there was another one for offerings for sacrifices. There was a box set aside just for contributions for wood, burnt offerings, incense, the gold temple vessels. Then there was another one. Actually, there were several trumpets for sin offerings. Makes sense. A lot of sinners. Then... There was a box for the offering of the Nazarite and other vows, and also if you were a cleansed leper, and and Thanksgiving offerings. And then there was one trumpet, specially for women paying for their purification. And this is where Mary would go when Jesus was a month old to buy her turtle doves, And this is also where Anna and Simeon would prophesy and pray over Mary's infant son, then proclaim that God the Son, Messiah, had come into the world. The treasury chamber itself was where the priests would carry the 13 chests to count all the money. Now you have to imagine huge. This court alone could hold about 15,000 people. And for the next seven decades, Anna dedicated herself to worshiping night and day, fasting and praying, always available in this place. Her ministry was to the many people who were streaming every day into the court of the women, bringing their tithes and their offerings to the treasury, and especially among the new mothers who came for their purification and the many women who came to make their vows. Imagine the maturity of love Anna had to rejoice over every young married couple who came in with their new baby and every matriarch who arrived with her grown children. And every grandmother who came with a thanksgiving offering for her newest grandchild. And imagine the depth and breadth of Anna's compassion for every widow who came in with her own small offering, not wanting to come before the Lord empty handed. Over all these people, and so many more, Anna would pray, offering wisdom and strength, offering encouragement and comfort and guidance. Especially to those new to the temple itself. Yet God's particular calling on Anna was to prophesy. She must have also spent many hours listening to the teachers of the law and the rabbis speak on the scriptures. She would have been there for every festival and every high holy day. She would have become just as knowledgeable as they were in God's Word. And as a prophetess, Anna had the power of God's Holy Spirit to receive visions and dreams from God, and to discern God's revelation within them. There were times when God gave Anna what to say, and by God's instruction and empowering, she would deliver those words. Prophets received insight into matters, especially future matters, but also underlying themes and truths of current events that would otherwise remain hidden to ordinary people. As the prophet Amos explained, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his secret counsel and plans to his servants, the prophets. So undoubtedly, Anna listened to God as she prayed, then fasted and spoke and acted as God directed. Others recognized Anna as a prophet, and indeed the work of prayer is one of the characteristics of a prophet. God described Abraham, for instance, as a prophet, and he will pray for you. In fact, I have long wondered... If it was Anna who prayed and prophesied over Simeon and gave him God's promise that he would one day see the Messiah before he died, as Luke explained, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Anna also knew how important fasting was in matters of prayer. She would have known the stories of Esther's three-day fast and of Daniel and his three friends permanently fasting from the unclean foods they were offered in Babylon. But she was not weakened by these spiritual disciplines. Quite the contrary. Instead, her lifestyle, just as Moses had prophesied, her strength equaled her days. Even at 84, she was mobile, articulate, alert, spiritually sensitive and discerning. She had a generous heart and she was full of joy. She is a biblical model for aging well, a woman who embraced the life God called her to, not bitter and empty as a childless widow, but rather full of hope and life. As she moved through the vast court of the women and the court of the Gentiles, she was walking among God's beloved faithful seeking to do good to all those she met. Instead of living out the rest of her days in a rocking chair, She was dynamically engaged in the life of God's people and useful to the Lord. Living into God's calling brings life satisfaction. Because Luke named her and was able to give these details of her life, I just wonder if her life later became a template for the righteous church widows Paul described in 1 Timothy. And it is striking, isn't it, that in Jesus' story, there are four lively, spiritually attuned seniors. Elizabeth, namesake of her ancestor Aaron's wife, Alishba, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah the priest, and now the prophet Anna, and Simeon, who was also most likely a priest. So often we talk about the peak of someone's career, then cluck our tongues when it seems as though that person has stayed on too long, and now their productivity or their talent or their presence or whatever it is has begun to decline. And we say, they should have retired when they were at the top of their game. Or, do you think they realized they're not as good as they once were? We view aging as a decline, and it seems as though we prefer seniors to discreetly and graciously step aside and let the young take over. Yet it seems God often saved the best for the very, very last for the seniors in Scripture, and no less here with Anna. Anna, It is possible the day Mary and Joseph ascended those many impressive marble steps up to the temple was the week before Pentecost. There is evidence in the Gospels, particularly in Luke, that Jesus was born during the Hebrew month of Nisan, when Jewish families were to take a lamb into their homes and then slaughter them for Passover. Forty days from that event would bring Mary to the end of her time of ritual seclusion, according to God's law. If a woman conceives and bears a male child, she shall be ceremonially unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation. She shall be called unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Her time of blood purification shall be thirty-three days. She shall not touch any holy thing or come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed." When the days of her purification are completed, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb in its first year for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. He shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement on her behalf. Then she shall be clean from her flow of blood. If she cannot afford a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement on her behalf, and she shall be clean. There are certainly overlays here in Luke 2 with the events that would happen 33 years later in Acts 1-2. to Think of the Passover, when Jesus died. Think of three days later, when he rose from the dead. Think of the 40 days that transpired, and then he ascended into heaven. Think of those ten quiet days when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, the Spirit certainly did stir within Simeon as he saw this clearly young, low-income parent approach him. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord." and they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The Holy Spirit rested on Simeon as he took the infant Jesus into his arms and guided by the Spirit, Simeon praised God and prophesied. The moment Mary and Joseph met with Simeon, the Holy Spirit also gathered Anna together with them. So as Simeon finished speaking, she began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Along with the Archangel Gabriel, Elizabeth, the infant John the Baptist, Zechariah, the host of angels in the sky, and all the shepherds in Bethlehem, Anna and Simeon recognized this child's great significance and future ministry. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Prophets praise God and proclaim Jesus is Messiah. God surely meant for Simeon's and Anna's prayers and their prophecy and their proclamation to strengthen and encourage Mary and Joseph as they began to raise the most unique person who has ever lived, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God's purpose in Anna goes so much farther. Tragedy in Anna's life became an opportunity to live for God. For you and me today, her life reveals the joy and satisfaction that comes with living close to God, living fully every day, full of hope and full of joy and full of love, and the reward patient faith in the Lord brings. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for Anna and for her life and also for her proclamation. We too are encouraged and praise you, O oh, our God. A new season opens with the accounts of kings and queens and a return to the stories of the Hebrew Bible. Up first is the spooky tale of a necromancer and an ill-fated king.